Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The season is nearly upon us. I hope you'll join us at Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners. So let's be friends. Nothing too fancy on this episode. Just me hanging out with my buddy, Mike Caulfield, who just happens to have been a real life race strategy person at Haas and Mercedes. Hello, Mike. Hey, good to be back on. Good to see you as well. Yeah, it's good to have you back on. I almost can't believe that someone that was operating at your level in an F1 team will spare the time to come and speak to us in the shed. I normally only get to speak to the to the Derricks of the teams, but you're like a named playable character. Um, yeah, to some people. <laughs> I don't know. I try to keep down, but downplay my, my accomplishments or lack of the. But you've been in the in the heart of you know an F1 team during the testing. Uh, part of the season which is really why I wanted to come here and kind of get you on and interrogate you because in our testing review we played the game of you know trying to put ourselves in the position of the other teams and trying to guess make definitive conclusions from testing and and we came up with a definitive order we somewhat ruined 2024 for people because we've, we've solved it uh, do the do the teams do the same thing as we're doing, trying to analyse where they are in the order, or do they just concentrate on what they're doing? No, hundred percent. It's the, all the teams will try and rank rank it. I mean, there's always obviously that caveat of of the unknowns, and everyone takes that into with a little pinch of salt. Um, and it's also changed a little bit now, where you have the test, the three. It's only a three day test yeah. in Bahrain, literally a week before the season starts. So. You've got much less data to work on. And also it's that, well, we're going to find out the answer in a week's time anyway. So it's not as, people aren't as kind of impatient for it. Whereas before you used to do eight days in Barcelona and then it would be three weeks before you're getting off to Melbourne. So in that time, you'd be literally scraping over all the data and putting something together. So you have a kind of 
good idea of your plan going in, into Melbourne because again, totally different circuit to Barcelona in the winter. It was it was trying to kind of figure out where your strengths and weaknesses, how they kind of cross cross pollinated across to the kind of actual season and actual conditions would go. Um, whereas, yeah, Bahrain now you're literally on the same track a week later. I think it's more now kind of pushed towards almost like glorified kind of well, it is practice. It's just kind of tuning in, right? What have we bought? Getting the car tuned in, and then if you're having a successful testing program, you're then starting to kind of just start setting your car up for the next week, really. So that would be my first question is, because the first race is on this same track, how tempting is it to over-focus on the Bahrain Grand Prix race one? Because you don't want to just test for one track, do you? No, but at the same time, you you have to test for what you've got and you can't kind of try and... You you shouldn't be trying to kind of alter what the track conditions... That was the beauty about Barcelona was, really, but he obviously was basically three separate tracks in the sense of the first part of the track was that kind of high-speed, long, demanding corners. Second part was a bit bit more kind of medium-speed, and then the last bit was slow-speed on the old layout anyway. So you kind of had to kind of got a good impression of what your car could and couldn't do. The only downside of Barcelona used to be was that it was in winter, but oh. it was in conditions you were never going to run in the whole season. So, like the tire degradations and everything like that were never, never kind of realistic in terms of what you'd kind of see. So, a lot of the analysis you used to have to do was kind of trying to look at what previous years was and how did it translate in the race, and then how did that translate into the kind of other, um, other kind of races coming up. So that was used to be a lot of work. The other thing that's changed as much is that like Pirelli brought the same tyres this year as they had last year as well so it's not going into testing with that kind of brand new right what the compound's doing how's that going to change so there's less focus on that which is another would have been a test item there would be to try and figure out what the tyres are doing obviously that's pretty much known now so you're then looking at right what changes have we made on the car how are the effects you've obviously got a lot of data from last year in terms of Bahrain and Bahrain testing does development throughout the season though so you can't always do that kind of straight compare to to what was seen in last year's testing and race um but yeah they so teams generally do focus on kind of a they still have the run programs they've got to test out all the systems it's a brand new chassis brand new build installation so you've got to make sure there's no kind of gremlins in there and fits everything's fitting as it should do there's nothing kind of overheating problems or et cetera, et cetera. So that kind of still still has to go yeah. through all that kind of process. But end of the day, you still you still look at the timesheets with a pinch of salt and kind of try and figure out right what are people doing? Where, where do we stand? Where how do we how are we going to plan next week and where do we think we're going to be competing with and and yeah, you you start having that one eye on the on the actual season and the race and, and then trying to figure out right what, what we're going to do about it so you're obviously an expert in tire wear like you must be as a strategist and so matt is going to be very very jealous that he couldn't make it because of, of this line of questioning here so you know there were reports that max verstappen exhibited basically no tire wear uh there were reports that ferrari have now put to bed some of their tire wear issues but in testing i mean how much can you really tell so obviously red bull don't have zero tire wear is that more of an indication that the drivers are not leaning on it as much? And in your experience, do the drivers go for it in testing with what they're provided with? Um, 
in, in, in any case, you, they tend to, it's like most teams will do a race simulation. So you're literally doing your yeah, 57 lap race and they're going out full fuel loads and going. And what you actually find in, in that testing scenario when they're going to these racings, but drivers often, all right, they're not racing anyone, but also that same concept applies. They're not racing anyone. So they don't have that same kind of process. Like, I've got to manage here, got to manage there. So you'll go into it with a kind of plan saying, we still need to look after the tires. Can you try and do this with them? And then you kind of monitor it and you have that kind of feedback and and loop. And you'll actually notice as well throughout the day before you get to that racing, a lot of people do um, like high high fuel runs. So it might not be a full start fuel load, but it's quite a high fuel run. And they'll do different approaches to it. So they're like kind of, they'll be looking at doing like a 12 lap run maybe and they'll start off full full pushing and just see what the tires do and then they'll start off like right let's try to do a bit of management how does this affect the degradation and then cause, but ultimately you're looking for that kind of um um ultimate kind of stint stint time so that's it's the area under the graph really so often you find that some people can start off slow on the tires the degradation's much better but actually the crossover of it comes awesome. really late on the stint but actually it was still quicker to go now have a higher degradation rate but you've you've pushed oh right when, when you say crossover do you mean the point at which you're starting to lose lap time because yeah exactly yeah. yeah so so for example you can go out and you start and you your first laps are 135 and 12 lap later you're doing 138 139s currently so it's four seconds a deg on it but ultimately you might go out and start doing a 138 to start with and then doing a 139 but you've never made that time you've lost at the beginning of the stint back up to to kind of recover it. So you've overmanaged to an yeah. extent, and you, you've you're you're actually more beneficial to have had a quicker stint at the beginning and a bit more degradation. It's not but also yeah. coming back from it is like this is where testing isn't as real as the races, where you don't have to worry about being overtaken or something, where you've got that kind of tire offset. So it's more it's not as kind of realistic in that respect. Where yes, all right, I can go quicker over this stint, but if I'm destroying the tires, I've also got a chance of being overtaken and that in a real life situation. So it's usually a middle ground between the two is where people kind of settle on. It's um yeah, because I think we tend to as viewers tend to think of it as as linear. Like you've got tires now at the beginning of the stint and then you have less as you go through. Whereas really it's not too dissimilar to running a five K. And do you go out like a, a rabbit out of a trap or or do you manage? But you know, I found myself in those five Ks where you're going very gentle to start with and trying to do decreasing splits as you go, but then you've, you've overdone it and suddenly the, you know, the 25 minute mark has overtaken you and you're like, oh, he's miles ahead now. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so, so some drivers will pace themselves differently through a stint. So you would have been at Mercedes observing Hamilton and Rosberg close at hand. And, and one of the things I thought in 2015, say in particular, that Hamilton used to not mind so much about qualifying, but when it came to the race towards the end of the first stint, he always seemed to have more tyres than Nico Rosberg. And just wondering how much of that is just because he was kinder on the tyres or how much of that is he was deliberately going, right, I'm saving it for halfway through the stint as opposed to Rosberg going, go, go, go. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's there's quite a possibility of that. Like often in back then as well is that usually when you're going into a strategy of a race, you'll tell the drivers kind of, especially in that day when it was still like two stop races were kind of the norm at that point. So your first stop lap would be maybe lap 15, lap 16. And you go in on a strategy meeting in the morning, you'd be like, we have to reach at least lap 13. We can't go any earlier of that. It's really detrimental to our race if we go earlier than that. And ideally we reach 16. And if we can extend it, even better. 
So the drivers obviously in that mindset go, okay, we know what the pros and cons of doing this is. And then some drivers just are better than others in terms of managing that kind of time. And as the concepts, like you said, with that with the 5K um, aspects of it is with Pirelli tires as well, they've changed a little bit throughout the year, but they're very much as well as if you hit them very early on, you then can't recover. No matter how much their management you do later, they just don't recover. You, you've t- If you've taken that kind of edge out of they it and that, and that beginning bit, you, it's, it's, that's it. You, you, you'll struggle to ever bring it back. They're not as bad as they used to be now, but it's still very much the same concept. So if you go and go like steaming out the pits and try and do a fastest lap by two seconds on that one, you'll, unless you drop off instantly after that, so you're like two seconds quicker and then you're driving four seconds yeah. off the base, you'll then, yeah, it'll just but kind of spiral. I think Hamilton seems to be particularly decent. That seems to be a particular strength of his. Uh, but if you look at like George Russell this year in Interlagos, I think that's, it seems to be a great example of it where he was able to go, hey, you know, I've got tons of pace here. Why is he going so slow? And, and then you saw him like drop like a balloon. Um, and you go, well, some drivers just seem to instinctively have that over other drivers. So with Piastri and, and Norris, they seem similar pace on a Saturday. And then on Sunday, Norris has got a clear advantage. And it was a comment from Matt who went, yeah, if Piastri can just sort out the, the bit with the tyre wear, he'll be as fast as Norris. And you go, well, is it as simple as that? Isn't that, is not that not quite fundamental? It's, it, it's, it is, it's, it's as simple actually, but it's not simple to do. Um, Cause it's when like this management can literally be tense. It's kind of that case is like, and it's all about doing it in the right places. Can you, you can, like I said, you can just, and I've known some drivers, they'll just drive, you'll say, right, we've got to manage the tires. And they end up, they just drive three and a half, four seconds slower. And you're just like, it's not That's... management, but it's not really management. You're just driving slow. Whereas, like, <laughs> the experts of it can, like, manage the tyre. And then all the teams are managing, like, the tyre work, the tyre energy is going into it. And you can, like, maybe if you do it correctly, like, in terms of your turning, your, your braking, your exit, and in certain parts of the circuit, um, you, you can do quite a lot of energy and maybe only drive in, like, half a second a lap slower. But you're saving a huge amount of energy going into the tires, and that's that's something that can be learned. And that's somewhere like Piastri. Obviously, it's his first season last year. We'll probably just be studying that and going right. What's Lando doing different to me? And you can just driving styles come into it. But again, you have to modify your driving styles a little bit to if you, if you're in a high degradation race. And I, I kind of feel he'll improve because it, these cars are difficult to drive in terms of they're so heavy. They're so kind of got so much inertia in them for. You're coming in. Your first race. You're trying to race. You're trying to learn it all to start with, and then I think that next step. So I, I think he'll take a step improvement this year. Um, that being said, though, from testing this week, um, neither of them looked particularly good in terms of degradation on that car. This, this oh, week. here we go. Now we're back into it. We're. I want the Caulfield, you know, uh, detective work. <laughs> and uh, in the live patron chat, they're saying, "Can you ask Mike if Stuart? This is Stuart. Can you ask Mike if we can believe anyone who says they have?" definitive conclusions from testing because i definitely did that i was like this is but i you know i mostly went off of what the the teams w- were saying and you know some most of the the people talking to the camera are straight shooters so james allison looked very very happy thinks he's above ferrari lando norris looked like he was chewing wasps alonso and stroll looked like they'd been forced to go and speak to the to the to the cameras so you know, you, you look at that kind of running order and go, wow, okay, that's a, a reasonable starting point. 
because as Matt pointed out, you know, these guys aren't great actors, <laughs> as, as it were. Um, but is, it, is there any benefit, really, to hiding your pace? Because there's a lot of chat of hiding your pace. Why would a team bother hiding their pace? You, you wouldn't. It's, it's yeah. always been. It's like it, it's, it's always one where you it's it, it's it's always made me laugh the whole time you've been in it. I mean, I think there's a case in the in the past and I'll go back to kind of what you say when it used to be like there used to be three weeks of testing and then there used to be a bit of a gap before the season. So there's always that kind of worry that if you show too much, people might try and figure out what you're doing and then make the development going into it to kind of make those jumps going into the season. Whereas if you kind of maybe give someone like a bit of false hope, but they don't then do the work going into it and you go, ah, actually, dude, we were down a bit. They thought they were a bit closer than they were. Whereas now when you've only got a week between it, your development plans are pretty much planned up until about June now anyway. There's no, there's no um, real benefit. On that. Yeah, so they're not going to suddenly change and go, oh, no, we're going to copy that Red Bull uh, exactly. air vent. So I think in, in the past, there, there was a little bit of gamesmanship just to kind of, just to keep keep things a bit unknown, but even then, like when people go the sandbagging, he's like, "Well, not like I remember when I was obviously I worked at Mercedes when they're quick, and it's like the sandbagging, the the the." the, the it's like no, literally a lot of it was like, right, we've got to test the engine, so we weren't allowed to run them full full power mode for the okay. first kind of um, six days of testing or something, and then gradually increased it, and then you'd run it on a run where you're trying to do an aero performance run, and you wouldn't do it when you're doing a qualifying run because Again, it's it's a totally different engine mode to that, so you, you're not quite showing it. And then, say, like places like Bahrain, you go, well, they haven't done a C5 tire run. It's like, yeah, but what's the point? Because we don't run the C5s at Bahrain, so too soft, yeah, it's totally irrelevant. And um, so we wouldn't wouldn't show it that. So it's it's not it's not as such as like deliberately hiding and deliberately sandbagging. You're just trying to do your program to get your data, and then a lot of it comes from. Oh, we've got data from last year and we've got data from this year. And the best way to compare it is by doing something similar rather than doing something totally different to last year and then making it all the comparisons and the analysis are much harder to try and figure out. So it's not that they're doing certain things because they're trying to, to hide stuff, but the, the program may not necessarily show the quickest lap time. So, yeah. for example, Mercedes 20, you know, that, that post-turbo hybrid era early on, they would go out and testing and it would seem like they would have the hard tyre nearly constantly be down on uh, engine mode, run heavy. And that just seems to be the way they do things. So maybe not not to pull the wool over anyone's eyes, but that's just, I guess that's how they run. But I don't want to lose all hope that there's a bit more Mercedes pace to come. Oh, yeah. And I, and I, and I think even today, it's like, it's, it's I mean... I'd, I think there probably is more to come. I, I'd be very surprised if they were in a proper engine mode this last week. Uh, and if they did, it was probably on a lap which was totally irrelevant yeah. as such, or like midday sun on a C, C2 tyre or something yeah. when they were doing a, an eight-lap run. So it's like, and that'll just be, again, it's to test out the systems. And like, there's no point, there's, there's nothing to be gained by going and doing a slam dunk lap you're not you're not trying to gain sponsors you're not trying to gain anything like that it's 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 what it is it's, yeah uh, like williams i think it was 2014 and they didn't have the martini thing yet so i think that there was what two weeks of testing and then the week one they popped up in p2 
And you go, well, that's, are they really, have they really got something? To be fair, they did have a reasonable season that, that yeah. year, but then they secure the Martini sponsorship and then do sort of more, more normal, more, more sensible runs. But then towards the end of testing, say you had the stake F1, uh, kick Sauber team with Joe Guan Yu pop up in like P3. Like what, what circumstances are, are they there around that? You must occasionally get a team going, ah, do you know what we, we could do with just being up the, up, up the scoreboard a bit. I think there is, and I think there's there's more benefit for your teams like your your Alpha or your Sauber. That's how I'm calling them Sauber. I don't care. But your <laughs> Salvas and your Toro Rossos and your um, Minardis, um to um to kind of there's there's more for them to say. Right, let's let's see what this car's performance is. It gives people in the team a bit of a kick, a bit of a jump because you're not going to be competing for wins and podiums. For the rest of the season, and the people in the team know it's not realistic. We're like, you know, if you probably, but like Haas last year in testing got the fastest lap on, I think, two days out of the three or something. And and everyone in the team knew it wasn't, <laughs> they weren't the fastest team, but it just gives everyone that little jump and just go, I see, we're not like it's not disastrous because you've still got to be reasonable to kind of put that time in. You know, everyone else isn't running what you're particularly running, but it's, um, it's just sometimes that kind of morale booster, and also sometimes you're just going to go, right? Okay, we've you might you might have done a successful test program. You've ticked off all your development list as well, and you get to that last thing, you go, okay, we've got this Why set not? of tires left. We haven't got anything left. We need to actually test. Okay, let's let's drop the fuel load. Let's um, turn the engine up a bit. Put these tires on. See what you do, and go for it. And it's like. I always say like, to people on a Friday as well when you're trying to if you're trying to tease something out of the lap times. It's a bit of a fool's errand, but every now and then you'll get a run like that from Joe Guan Yu, and then you go, ah, okay. That really shows you how irrelevant the the lap times are. So, uh, you know, wet finger in the air. What's the lap time difference between having a soft tire, low fuel engine mode turned up to having a heavier fuel load, harder tire, and engine on a low mode you know what what sort of swing are we talking with lap times like just how irrelevant are the lap times we see basically oh i mean it's there's not just that so you you there's a few things there's like getting the track conditions perfect so obviously as the track gets cooler you that 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 that'll um help it it's windy in bahrain as well so you can actually like time it and there was one point i think it was on the second day where literally 20 minutes before the end of the day, the wind suddenly went up and there was a few cars on like a racing and like all four cars on track, lap time just jumped up by about half a uh, second. And because the wind had just picked up and like, and just they made them... Blown them down the straight. So there's, again, there's you can potentially just even look into that and you suddenly go out and you're like, oh, suddenly I'm a second quicker. And it's like, but I think just based on what you said in terms of tyres, fuel, engine mode, I mean, you'll be looking at, you'll be looking at, two seconds there probably in at least in that in that respect i mean it can vary depending on what tires you're going to what fuel load you're going to but for example i mean that um joe joe lap he was probably on 15 kilos i, I, I mean i don't know i'm probably won't be fully low qualifying fuel but low-ish whereas you've a i doubt he'll have dropped below 40 um if that i think he's probably going to be 50 60 what's the maximum uh, 100 uh I mean, they can stick about 125 in the car oh. now. Um, so, yeah, it's um, and like, as well these cars as well will be probably overweight because they'll have a lot of logging equipment on them as well. So again, it depends on that. So effective fuel loads for people in the racing, 
So your race start fuel loads 110 kilos, give or take, depending on the fuel consumption. I think most people's race sims here will be probably starting about 120, 125 kilos. Um, and that's usually where you can tell what what people's actual pace is, is when you look at the race sims, because there's not much more you can say. You can turn the engine down a little bit, but you don't want to be too slow. And then your tyres are doing. Your tyres are going to be what the tyres are going to be in the race because otherwise you'll struggle to erase him. Because if you go too soft, they'll degrade. And then, yeah, and then everything in engine mode is is going to be similar. Maybe a little bit more to come, but similar. So I think that's always your best analysis. But still, there there'll still be a variance probably of still fifteen twenty kilos between some teams doing doing the fuel loads and that. Mm. So look. You're you're not some foolish podcaster making wild guesses and speculation, but I invite you to w- come on, w- wade on in to the to the pool of of definitive conclusions. Now, there's a couple of things here. A, you, you're an expert. You've literally made decisions for race cars during the race uh, and made strategy calls in the pinnacle of motorsport. And also, like you're a very connected gentleman indeed as much as you downplay that so what's your vibe what's your running order what's your top five mike top five um, um who's that texting you is that one of the teams now saying don't tell them don't don't tell <laughs> how much sandbagging mercedes is doing just double checked um, no it's, it's, it's fine <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not james james allison no okay um, yeah go on what's your I top mean, five uh, like i'm gonna be really but it's obviously gonna be difficult so it's Red Bull looks quick. It, uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, I mean, I think they're still a step above everyone else. Um, yeah, there's a couple of conversations I've people at Paddock, and they just look at Max more so than uh, than Checo. But yeah. like, he's obviously he seems to still just find somehow half a second out of that car compared to to, to Checo. And but I've yeah I spoke to a couple of people on the pit lane, and they were just like. We really don't know what what they're doing in terms of not in a bad way, but just like it's just impressive in terms of of, of what they're doing in that sense um, with with Max. So I'd probably say if we, let's go drivers, um, well, <laughs> dri- Max first, yeah, then a step to Checo, and, and I'd say probably I think the battle for like that next group looks as it was last year. Really, I'd 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 be surprised if if like Merck Ferrari. I can't. I can't pick which way round they are because I. I don't know enough. Yeah, a lot though, of people I, are struggling with but that. I kind of. I feel Merck might have a slight edge on it, race pace, but Ferrari might have that little bit of an edge on qualifying. But then you, you can't tell just based off testing. And this is wild speculation, Mike. Look, yeah. you. Yeah, you. You've come down to our level here. This is your fault. So just speak with confidence. You haven't earned authority, for goodness' sake. Yeah. Um. I think Merck are happy with the progress they've made, but I think then no, that I don't think they're going to be challenging Red Bull. That's the my thing. But yeah, and then and then McLaren, I think a little bit back from those two, just because again, like I said, their degradation didn't look great in the race in the race sims. McLaren, um, McLarens, yeah. Um, so it kind of looks like yeah, the the race trim might not be fantastic. But this is this is when go going back over historic things that McLaren. Over the, I know last season they didn't start the season well with the car, but last year in Bahrain they struggled. The season before in Bahrain they struggled. They always seem to struggle in Bahrain. So potentially it's a circuit-specific Bahrain doesn't quite suit their car, and it still hasn't quite suited their car. Even though they made improvements to it, it's going, it's going fine. Okay, so, well, why? 
is it re- re- I, I'd, really I'd, I'd need to really dig into like their actual data and stuff on that. I, it's potentially just it's just the nature of the corners of it. It's just obviously the track surface at Bahrain is quite quite an, a, a, an aggressive one, so that kind of has that extra effect on on, on the degradation. It's it's potentially just like a suspension setting. I, I don't know. I, I honestly, it's 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 a struggle to figure out why exactly they'd struggle on it and then come good. But it is a pattern over the last few years. But yeah, that Bahrain just doesn't quite suit them. And it might be just that like there's a lot of high speed in Bahrain, um, and it might be just that they're just lacking a little bit in that those high speed corners with the addition of the high degradation which the circuit usually brings because of that kind of quite aggressive track surface. Well, then, certainly, even last season, you could see that McLaren were better off on the low deg yeah. circuits. That, that 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 seemed to be that the case there. And then where Mercedes were better on the higher degradation circuits compared to those guys, but then Mercedes would end up P nine, P eleven in qualifying, and and then just be stuck and not be able to use that better tire performance. Yeah, I mean, and usually when that kind of that indicates for. The, you're struggling to get, or you're very kind on your tires, basically. For like, you, and you struggle to get your tires in your window for that qualifying one lap, but you're able to kind of look after them in a race. So that, and that, in that instance, whereas, yeah, like, like you say, McLaren potentially just that little bit hard on the tires, and that's, it, and it could just be that kind of criteria, but it's just that kind of suspension, suspension geometry just adds that little bit more kind of um, input in those high speed corners, and then yeah, somewhere like Bahrain where it's always high degradation anyway, it's uh, they just struggle to control it, and the only way of controlling it is by going a bit slower. So it's um yeah, it's it'll be it'll be interesting, and again, it it's yeah, it's speculation in terms of they might have been trying something, they might have just been saying right, go out and do these with no management. We want to try and get some detail on this to to try and work see out the problem, and then actually we know how to deal with it in a race situation. But we want to just try and pick up some data ab- about driving in this way. So th- it could be that they come once they get to next week and they've studied it and go right. We've looked at how they're driving it. We looked at how they're driving it. They've they've got good profiles. We just need to do this, and they'll be much better next week. Oh, this weekend, sorry. Ready to pop the question. The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget? Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. 
I want to be nosy. So as the, what was your position at, at Haas? Were you the top strategist at Haas? Yeah. So you were like the main dude on the pit wall making those calls for both drivers. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. You, do you, you do not have like a lieutenant's <clears throat> yeah, assigned yeah, no, to each driver? Yeah, no, yeah. So, so I mean, the way we worked, we were, we were at Haas for a much smaller group than than some of the other teams. And every team kind of works in a, in a little bit of a different kind of method. But yeah, we, we'd work for... We'd we'd control both cars, and we don't we'd have like rules of engagement to kind of like not favor one over the other, um, and like obviously the lead car would have the priority, and then we're trying to obviously get the strategy to depending on the positions between them to kind of filter out. And generally, what we worked with, we'll have guys who were kind of like working working for me would like be monitoring different things, so be monitoring the competitors, monitoring what the degradations doing, monitoring kind of who our closest competitors are to make sure we didn't miss anything. So, like potentially, I might take a kind of an eye on the on the lead car and have someone looking at the second car if they were a little bit separate. If they were close together, it was quite easy to kind of follow what was going on. But say potentially we had one car up in the top ten and one car down in seventeenth, for example, then it's a bit <laughs> difficult to to monitor both race situations in that case. Yeah. Right, so. You're always very polite to not say Grosjean. That's my that's the that's the takeaway. From, I can say that. I know you you can't, but. Um, I'm curious, kind of before before the race. You know, it's a long weekend, and really, you come to life during the race. But how involved do you get with the the guys, with the mechanics? How interested are you in the in the tech side of the car? I mean, I, I guess you don't have to, but did you find yourself, you know, chatting with you know Derek on the suspension bay? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I mean, one thing that's like to, which brings the strategist kind of close with the with the the mechanics for a start is that usually the strategists. Um, are often in charge of kind of pit stop stuff and like and looking oh. at it because like the pit the pit stops are a big strategy element so part of the kind of work which a lot of the strategy groups do is looking at the analysis of the pit stops or going over all the pit stop practices looking at kind of all, all the each of the corners so you then get to work with the mechanics then to kind of you chat with them and, and work with them to try and like go over stuff and figure figure out what's going on there so while you might not be like overall in charge of the the pit stop itself in terms of that's usually goes down to kind of either the team manager or the chief mechanic but you'll like kind of have your say to kind of like right we'll do the kind of tech techie engineering side of things and look at kind of what the analysis is going on of, of each corner and breaking it down with the kind of human performance coaches and trying to figure out what's best and make sure oh, you've got yeah. everyone in the correct positions and yeah, and then you just go and chat to them and get their feedback and, and try and like figure out what, what we can do to help them. And yeah, it's, oh, like, yeah I feel for those guys because it, honestly, it's like a penalty shootout every single pit stop for every single one of those mechanics. All oh, of them. It's, it's, I mean, it's it's awful. Uh, it's like, <laughs> never, like some, some guys like it, but a lot of guys, I mean, because obviously you're limited on personnel, so you can't, it's not like NASCAR where they just bring in literally people to do the pit stops these guys their day job is building the cars and and and, <laughs> but, but doing everything else. and then and then you have to pick out you have to pick out what was it for basically 16 people out of that to then do these do these pits on which doesn't leave many left over so like there's not many people sat on the sidelines and so like if someone really doesn't want to do it you, you like you kind of say well you have to sometimes because you only, you're only a couple of injuries away from like <laughs> saying like you kind of you, you, we need people on and that was the hardest thing about it is kind of a lot of the guys wanted to do it um but they also knew that it was very much a very low reward kind of yeah high risk yeah and also like, like also some of those positions up like front jack guys get flung all the time 
Again, that was Grosjean as well. We hit a front jack guy quite hard. I think most drivers in the have, have probably, some probably hit a front jack man at some point. Yeah, and you just go right. You're on front front jack today, Derek. Oh, are you no? Please, I've, I've got chill. I've got babies. You go. How do you nominate who goes where? Yeah, I mean it's a lot of kind of first off it's like you kind of you do look for who who who's interested in it. There's like there's anything positions people want to do. And then you look at like the skill, like because obviously the the tires now are huge. So like mm-hmm. the kind of so so the the rear kind of a, a rear tire on man, for example, is having to swing is huge. So he's got to be. You can't have someone who's short in the arm, for example. He's just going to struggle to get it get it on <laughs> in, in, in that one. So you've got to try and kind of fit, fit people to like their best positions, and then and then try and get it. And and then there's as you'll see up and down the pit lane, there's. There's some guys who are quite athletic and some some less so. Some so, less so. Yeah, so, it's, um, yeah. so yeah, it's just trying to kind of get it around. But there is a place for everyone, and that's who. If you're front jack man, if you put someone quite solid in front of it, he's got you, bigger mass to move. So you're kind of trying. There's um there's an ice cream truck in our in our, the, my, the city centre where I live, and it says on the side it says um. Fat people are harder to kidnap. Have a double scoop ice cream. So I guess the same <laughs> might apply to the front Jackman. Yeah, uh, bigger Jackman are, are harder to fling. But um, I didn't mean to divert to the pit crew. But this is is really fascinating because you know these guys. There was a famous uh, Haas mess up on the front left jack. I think in Australia a few years back, and Haas were in a really strong position. I think that was Grosjean, and two pit stops went wrong. And there was a lot of pictures of the lad on the front jack being looking really devastated but i guess yeah. you know like I, you know i'm a i'm a, a spanner monkey myself if if a thread wants to cross itself wants to cross you know some sometimes that just happens and yeah. and it must be so hard on that individual to go oh, the whole race just messed up because of me well, no exactly and that's it and it was it was a killer i mean that was 2018 and literally chucked away yeah i think it was definitely would have been fifth and sixth in the race if not fourth and fifth and that kind of thing oh. and like and if someone you don't know someone drops out there's a potential for a podium there and, it, and like the car was good and yeah it just happens but it's it's one of those ones where it's a concept a lot of it is kind of a consequence of bigger things so like and you never put the blame on the one guy it's like i remember that weekend it was i think we'd already broken curfew that weekend so there was no chance to do pit stop practice and then over the winter oh. like the way the organization kind of fell out and you were here there and everywhere some guys were in italy some guys were in banbury car build was a bit slow so again pit stop practice were like few and far between yet like when i was at mercedes like over the winter they were literally doing two sets of pit stop practices a day every day for like the winter going into it so it's kind of again it just shows that kind of resource and organization and just the difference between like the kind of teams and levels to kind of get to it so yeah i don't blame the guys doing it it's like and another thing as well is for the parts that the parts which cross-threaded you like well why are they cross-threading and they bought parts again so they're, they're coming from yeah Harry, and they're like and it's, it's it's like yeah and then well no but it's like saying like literally mercedes i don't know if they still do but mercedes used to have a designer purely for pit equipment that's it and like so like so wheel and wheel nuts were about that, but wheel nuts, everything and that, just purely for the pit equipment. And like it basically got to a point when I was there, but they went in the design and basically they made the wheel nut impossible to cross thread. Mm. And then I sent like years, like and and then and basically it was like they were doing so many stops on like the rigs and rigs and rigs and like basically it was like right, this has to do a thousand stops and not cross thread. 
if it crosses, mm. right, we've got to redesign it. And but that's when Mercedes obviously have had a huge, huge cash advantage. You know, Ross Braun was lighting cigars with fifty pound notes at that time, yeah, yeah. and you can afford to do that. No, 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 I agree. But I mean, what I'm saying is that like Hass's stuff came from Ferrari, and Ferrari also have this money. Oh, right. yeah, yeah, Marlboro money, don't yeah. they? <laughs> yeah. No, no. So look, um, it's it's not unfair to say your time at uh, Haas you have experienced the midfield. So I wanted to kind of talk about, if there was somebody in our patron chat made a really good observation that if you're a team um, like Haas when you were there rather than Haas now, who seem planted to the back, dependent on Alpine to sit underneath them to save them from the, the 10th place spot at the moment. <laughs> but do you ever look at the season and go, these are our tracks that are the ones where we've got a real chance of a proper result and a proper chance of points. Therefore, we will do our whole philosophy around street tracks or around the high-speed circuits? Um, yes and no. As in, you'd always kind of look at where, you, where your best opportunities were. Um, but generally, kind of street tracks for a start are kind of, you, you can't, as I think, you can't design your car on street tracks. It's, it's just, if you, if you design your car on street tracks, you're going to struggle for a long right. season. Why? What? What's so different about the street track for setting up? Uh, I mean, okay, I think they're coming in a little bit more in line now, partly because there's so many of them. Um, and but like, say, like if you try to design your car on Monaco, they're just for, they're just so bumpy. Your, your steering rack's different. Your kind of suspension's different. Your ride heights are different. So your whole aero platform is just different because you're never like you're never hitting like you're hitting like 250 kilometers an hour top top speed and no corners above kind of 140 and it's kind of aspects like that you go well we can design it around this fantastic we're going to be a lot of the places pretty poor um and obviously the big teams who kind of have a nice wide range of kind of aspects where you can pick pick and choose here and there obviously in a cost cap era it's it's a little bit more difficult to do that now i think for someone like you say like for Haas is for your main attempt, if you're in midfield, and if you're like good midfield, so you're like that kind of fifth, sixth team, but you're not too far off the the front one. All right, you may be, you're not going to win a race, but if you perform well and everything falls in, there's an outside chance of a podium here or there. Like we've seen in the past few years, I think basically pretty much every team's had a podium apart from Haas and Alfa Romeo or, or Sauber or Minardi or whatever. No, not Minardi. Minardi. Look, look it's not that hard. It's Sauber F... No, I've got it wrong. <laughs> Kick, steak F1 team kick Sauber. It rolls off the tongue. Okay, Sauber. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, but like it's it's that one, as like I said, we're like in Austria in 2018, we got fourth and fifth. And it was, yeah, okay, there was a couple of cars who... who had DNFs, which allowed us to be fourth and fifth. But at the same time, we're only one car away and one further car away from a DNF and a podium. And then you look at Haas last year, in fact, and even though they did a disastrous season, Hulkenberg was effectively one one lap away from um, getting a podium in Australia. But then obviously the red flag and everything came out. The and, red flags. And, and it kind yeah. of went out. But again, it's that kind of case. You need to put yourself in that best position to take advantage of two Alpines take each other out or Ferrari have an engine issue or et cetera, et cetera. And then like, you just try and capitalize. And, and ultimately, you want to just be consistent over the season. If you can go out throughout the season and be picking up seventh, eighth, ninth in that midfield, then you know there's a chance for you getting potentially that little bit higher. I think the worst one is is kind of if you're down, if you're down running in kind of 
15th, 16th, no matter what you do, you're never going to put yourself, even if mm. you try and design for like once, you do like the, the Jordan special, which always used to be in Spa for some reason. I don't really know what they did, but they always seem to be well in there. But like, yeah, if you're 15th, 16th, mm. even if you kind of designed your philosophy over one race, you'd probably still be that far out of the kind of development process and analysis for you'd still be struggled to yeah. kind of be much better for that kind of and you're in trouble i guess generally if that's what you're pinning your your hopes on now yeah. I, I, i'm aware you've got a nursery run so make sure you're not late for the little one but uh i just saw a, 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 a quizzical look in your eyes when i suggested that house might be planted to to the bottom is there any hope for house because from the outside it looks like that there was you know some real troubles there and it's going to take a, a while for for the new boss to get things up and running and and he's not exactly being you know he's not he's not being shy he's going yeah i don't think we <laughs> i don't think we're going to do that well yeah um, i mean i obviously know him quite well so it's like and I, and I, I get what he's saying but i think he i think he's actually doing a really good job in kind of downplaying things he's like if huh. we say we're going to be last then when we're last then that's it but if we're better than that then fantastic and looking at what they did last week I, I think they've got on top of a few of their problems. Obviously, they didn't do any kind of out-and-out qualifying runs, so if they've taken something away from the, maybe their the one-lap pace compared to what they were last year, because, I mean, even towards the end of the season, they were still getting Q3 appearances. I think in Abu Dhabi, wasn't it? They they got at least one car, if not maybe two. I can't but, remember. But they, just, but they would drop like, a, drop like a stone. Well, the race pace, the race sims they did last week looked much more in line with the rest of the field in terms of they're like degradation and stuff again it's that little bit difference in terms of you can't put the place them exactly but i i i don't think they're i don't think it's going to be a, a 2021 season kind of thing where they were just like 30 seconds off the back of the field i i kind of think that i i've not got them last in in my kind of outlook i've, I've got them higher up and the thing is, they've got two drivers as well who like a proper hustle, who are fun to watch. I think particularly Kevin Magnussen, you know, his, his front, if you were to put like little gnomes on his front wing end plates, they would be terrified every single race. But he doesn't mind, does he? He really doesn't mind sticking his nose in, having a fight. We want drivers like that up there fighting for the points. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, I, I yeah, I mean, yeah, that, I think both drivers... They've got potential. They've, you know, they've shown they've got potential. They, they've they've got the skill to do it. I think when they get to them and kind of that point, but we, they just need they need something to give them that opportunity. So like, they, neither of them obviously with their kind of point in their career don't want to be driving around at the back of the field. And I think motivation, as with anyone, is a struggle for them if they're doing that. If they've got that shot of getting points and stuff, then I don't think there's two better play people to have to kind of try and give it a go and like keep it up there. No, I don't know. The problem is they're both dads, and I honestly I think that like being a dad just saps virtual tenths out of your soul. <laughs> uh, so they've both got other things on their mind, but it is very cute when um, Kevin Magnuson brings his little daughter into the into the garage and is putting her in a in the cockpit. Um, I, I do wish that team well in in general. It seems like. I, you know, I get the vibe from you certainly that it was a nice place to to work, and there were good people there. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it's um, yeah, there's a lot of good people there, and it, like, I mean, we like with any F1 team, really. It's just everyone works hard, and it's always. I know someone's got someone's got to be last, but you kind of you you put a lot of work in to still be last, and then you kind of see some of the things which like 
just general general F one Twitter kind of puts on there, kind of getting mm. into. I know you ignore Sorry. it, but it just kind of feels just like <laughs> these guys put in these guys away I from know. home so many weeks a year, and like no one wants to be there, and it's not the fault of any one person. But as a as a as a a pseudo pundit. And as a fan, it's very difficult to just go, well, everybody's trying hard. You know, it is, it is no, no, difficult I'm, when, I'm, when there's bad that. results. I think yeah. it, it's, I think it's more the air of like, <laughs> like, is what kind of the direction of like some people like blaming the strategist or something. It's like the strategist only got what, like, only has the car to work with. He's got the car. If the car's a second slower, it doesn't, doesn't really make a difference what he does with it. He's going to try. And sometimes you've in that position you've got to try to do something actually out of the ordinary to kind of do something. Because if you just do the same as everyone else, you'll just finish back where you were. And unfortunately, when you do something out of the ordinary, F1 being F1, 99 times out of 100, it ain't going to work. Because that one time it does work, then it, it, you look like a, a hip, like, as as the ex, ex-team principal say, a f***ing rock star. Oh, <laughs> apologies. All the kids are at school. That's fine. That means I've got to go in and beep one thing, Mike. Oh, sorry. Unbelievable. Sorry. No, no, it's been absolutely... I was quoting, quoting. <laughs> uh, it's been great fun having you here. And I'm really hoping this season uh, we can get hold of you a little bit more because we always enjoy your insights. And um, and we'll, we'll, we'll start naming these these shows. We can call it... Uh, from the Pratt Perch with Mike Caulfield. Who was it that named it the Pratt Perch? I can't remember. I don't know. But that I, came I, from I, somewhere. I've used it. <laughs> nice one. Mike Caulfield, um, you are still, you're private on Twitter, unprivate your Twitter so people can I'm follow I'm not you. on it at the moment, really. So. Uh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, in that case, I'll give out, as usual, your home address so that people can stalk <laughs> you. Thank you very much, Mike Caulfield. We'll hear more from him in the season. The next time I speak to you, it's going to be a race review. I think we're going to be around 9pm UK time on Saturday. Remember that the race is on Saturday. Until next time, work hard, be kind and have fun. This was Mistake Pets Podcast. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.